Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Hello. Marlo's here. Uh-oh, Steve's here, too. Hello, hello. We had two, two speedy Gonzaleses here. Yeah. Gonzaleses. So, Gonzalez. So, um, all right, I'm just going to say it. Um, <laughs> most of my social interactions, I realize, are generally like an Alzheimer's patient who knows they're supposed to recognize someone. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, what was the deal with you in California? Sorry if you already told me and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> My boyfriend was out there for a while. Yeah. Um, and then I went to meet him and we uh, went into the desert uh, where we might move to next year. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so, a lot yeah. of clubs in the desert? No, uh, but oh, we just doing comedy for the peyote gods. Yeah, we're gonna do a comedy peyote festival. We're gonna make everybody sleep in tents. It's how my cult starts. Um, yeah, no, I mean totally. If I was like a Silicon Valley bro who was uh, selling slaves, but like Uber, I would totally go to your peyote comedy show. Yeah, I think this desert. is an ex- this is an expansion of our brand. Just call it Pinko Kami Cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pinko Kami Compound. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's gonna wake up that shit. I don't know what you guys have on the agenda, but uh, throw Queen's Gambit somewhere there because I've been wanting to talk about that shit for a well, while now. Well, yeah, I I watched it. I, right. it. I enjoyed cool. it quite a bit. I had one uh, person reach out and tell me they felt I resembled that woman, the actress. You do have very <laughs> large eyes. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I I wasn't familiar with the book it is based on, but um, yeah, I wasn't either. Apparently, it is beloved by uh, many people. There, every fucking chess video on YouTube right now is those nerds playing against the chess.com's best Beth Harmon bot. <laughs> it's like, it is all over internet chess. It's ridiculous. Yeah, everybody wants to get uh, domed by... Uh, <laughs> by- <laughs> Bye, Beth. I definitely really like the miniseries. And sorry, spoiler alert, everyone. I really liked how somehow 
every man she'd ever been romantically involved with all teamed up to help her. Yeah, no, that was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I no, too. Just like the all we we fuck Beth Harmon club, let's figure out her last game during the adjournment. Yeah, that I shit rules. I loved it. I loved oh, it Oh, my God. So yeah, much. no, so much about that series fucking um yeah my one issue with it and i think this is partially a me problem which i think <laughs> the first step is admitting it um i was like kind of shit faced through most of my watch through of the series and i didn't get that she actually had an addiction problem at all she just seemed kind of fun to me <laughs> like she but seemed she seemed like she would be fun to be around. So, you know. well, uh, okay, I did find that whatever uh, made up amphetamine drugs or whatever uh, <clears throat> she she's consuming these colorful pills. It did seem super fun, and I definitely wanted to yeah, do well, that. Okay, that's the one thing they mentioned their tranks, mm-hmm. and like you don't take tranks to get better at chess. Like that's not how science works. Well, it's it's almost like it's this amorphous, like it's drugs. Uh, I mean, they did thing. call them tranquilizers at one point. Like, yeah, they refer to them as tranquilizers, but they are a made-up drug. I did check that. Okay. Uh, and of course, in the universe of the show, her taking uh, this drug, which they also drop fairly early on yeah. as a central point, and I'll give them that. But, like, no, so my issue with her addiction is often, like, she just had dudes telling her she had a problem. No, how you knew she hit rock bottom was when she was wearing too much mod makeup. Yeah, and it's (laughs) like, I don't know, she has a house and, like, money and shit, and she, like, took, like, a three-month hiatus from chess after a shitty loss she had against the best chess player in the world. Yeah, I kind of thought, like, cool, rock on. And then it was very... uh, She was doing her. A very severe turn where it's like, oh, she's got too many wine bottles. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, that was the one thing that I had an issue with. But yeah, no, there's a lot I really like about the series. I think it had... Uh, and especially for, you know, Netflix and their, you know, um, Stranger Things season, whatever the fuck and all their shit. Uh, I think it had a weirdly pro-Soviet message. Yeah, it, it was unusually friendly to the Soviet, as so, we know, as, we, as we've discussed. Yeah, so I have a few specific examples there. So first of all, there's the line... Why are the Soviets good? Because they help each other and also because the Soviet Union appreciates and loves chess. We're the best chess players in the United States. We're playing in this high school gym that no one is here on these shitty plastic boards. And meanwhile, the Soviet Union, these guys are treated like celebrities. And also they help each other out. And in America, it's all about this competition. And then there's the fact that Borgov, who, if you're not a chess nerd, you don't know Borgov is supposed to be Spask. Uh, mm. And the one thing that everyone has always said about Spassky is he's the nicest human being to ever walk the face of the earth. And they portray Borgov like that. They mm-hmm. He respects Beth's chess playing. He respects her, like, struggle and background and just generally is a nice guy who respects her. Uh, he's not some chess playing robot. 
Meanwhile, when she goes to the Soviet Union to play, she has this American implicit CIA handler guide Mm -hmm. who is portrayed as kind of a paranoid idiot. Um, And he at some point... They send somebody who doesn't even know how chess works. Right, and at some point he implies to Beth that Borgoff might try and defect. And Mm. that never comes up. That never happens because why the fuck would he defect He's treated like a fucking celebrity in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and he loves his life there. And then there's the part where specifically she's asked to, and it's not beat you over the head, but if you know, you know, she's clearly supposed to be Bobby Fisher as a stand-in. Uh, but um, excuse me, she did not have a lot of problematic views at least but bobby fisher really didn't in 1972 either (laughs) yeah but the parts from bobby fisher are specifically she's asked to like sign on to some anti-communist statement that she just kind of is like no that's stupid i just want to play chess Mm -hmm. and i don't really care about communism and why would i do that and she turns down a shitload of money to do that and yeah, overall, the series had a very weirdly pro-Soviet message. There's also another scene that, like, I think from a chess nerd and literary perspective, I really like uh, that I wanted to talk about. Also, yeah, I mean, also the last game, I will just say it's based on, I think, a 1992 game. But it's also based on game six of the 1972 World Championships because one, Borgoff gets up at the end and applauds. And two, and this kind of leads into that one scene I like, uh, she plays the Queen's Gambit for literally the first time in the entire fucking series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which game six of 1972, Bobby Fischer, very uncharacteristically to his play style, played a Queen's Gambit won the game, and it was such a beautiful win that Spassky stood up and applauded him. Uh, So it was very fun uh, if you are a chess nerd. Mm -hmm. Just the way they, like, work that shit in there. Well, I think uh, that's something I enjoyed uh, about the show is that often when there is a work of fiction that's about something very specific, people within that subculture will rush in to be like, oh, this isn't this isn't really how it is. They're making this is bullshit. They're whatever. Everyone and, in the uh, chess world fucking loves this show. <laughs> and and yes, that's what I'm finding is everyone loves it. But it also completely appeals to people who don't know how to play chess. Yeah. And um yeah, no, fact, everyone else it's also probably loves in- this show. Yeah, it's probably inspiring a few people to at least try to learn, which is always my favorite thing when people embark on a new journey because they saw it in a show or movie. Um, hey, that's how I started playing It's very playing American. Chess. It's very what, searching? American. Searching for Bobby Fischer got me to... Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, Last, well, actually, Queen of Cotway is also very good. Um, I would say is the... Oh, yes, yeah. That spiritual is successor to Searching for Bobby Fischer. Much mm-hmm. like Searching, it is kind of geared towards younger kids. And this is the first time I've seen a chess thing like that is actually geared towards adults that mm-hmm. doesn't suck like Pawn Sacrifice. Yeah. 
Yeah, anyway, the literary thing I was thinking about is there's an interview she does with People Magazine when she is in high school and just won some, I think, the state championship. I I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. Um, And the woman for People Magazine says, as an orphan, do you view the queen as a mother figure and the king as a father figure? And Beth Harmon, like, kind of just goes, no, that's the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard. (laughs) Um, And it reminded me... And I would actually ask Matt to clip this in if I my memory is in fact correct, is uh, uh, Magnus Carlson on the Colbert Report, whenever the fuck Colbert Report was on. And, you know, Colbert obviously is playing a buffoon in his interviews. And he goes to Magnus, um, oh, so do the chess pieces talk to you and say, hey, move me, move me. And like Magnus Carlson just kind of looked at him and it's like, no, that's the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard. Um, And it's a very common trope where non-chess players will often like anthropomorphize the pieces whereas chess players it's a problem you have to solve but a lot of people like the game and what do you what do you see when you look at a chess board are you seeing like little you know wooden pieces on a board or are you seeing some sort of fourth dimensional tesseract do the pieces turn to in your mind and talk to you and say move me magnus do, do you see the board differently than a normal average not genius um, no, not really. I, I just see the board, the pieces, everything, and then I obviously I think of patterns, what to do next, and so on. But um, I mean, the pieces in general, they are just uh, tools for me. So they don't they don't talk to you. <laughs> no, not not, not too much. much. Not too much. No. But that brings up the title of the series, which is Queen's Gambit, which Beth Harmon. Other than the last game, which for literary and chess reasons is the exception, she never plays the Queen's Gambit in the entire fucking series. She is very much a Bobby Fischer player. She opens E4 as white all the time. And uh, so the reason the show is called the Queen's Gambit is not due to any chess reason. It's anthropomorphizing the queen as a feminine figure associated with the main character of the series so it obviously it almost is like they're making fun of their own title and i don't know if that was intended or not but i kind of liked it i i think it can work on that level but it also works in a less specific pop culture way where even if people often do not know how to play chess they have uh, likely been told in some form of media or another that like oh well the queen's actually the most powerful one right, on the right. board in chess oh well, isn't that you know nifty because we don't let women do that for reals uh, yeah <laughs> I, I did look up queen's gambit on wikipedia just to kind of brush up on it uh, the series and you know the the opening comes up first and then you click on disambiguation and when you mm-hmm. click on the disambiguation page there's a whole subsection of episodes of various shows titled queen's gambit okay there's like yeah. eight different shows that have an episode called queen's gambit it's actually kind <laughs> of funny but like yeah to me that interview almost was sort of a self-referential like hey we know we did this 
but mm-hmm. you know, there you go. Um, where they are like, because chess players don't view the queen as a lady, they view it as a tool to play chess with. <laughs> and Beth Harmon doesn't view the queen as a mother, she views it as a tool that she plays chess with. And she doesn't open with Queen's Gambit at all, except again, the last thing, because that's this like convoluted reference to game six of 1972. That's kind of what I wanted to say about Queen's Gambit. I do love the fucking series. Uh, It's pretty great. Well, as I said, I really enjoyed that all of the men she was involved (laughs) with were so invested in her that the logical conclusion. Yeah, no, it was Avengers Assemble. Yeah, it it was Around great. I would love, yeah, I would love to see more of this in fiction. Just all of uh, you know, women's lovers. Um, yeah, fuck a dude, he becomes and, a magic genie who helps you when you need it. <laughs> yeah, who who and he wants you to win. Yeah. Uh, so I did like that a lot. The show was very aesthetically pleasing. Uh, like I said before, it did sort of feel like they were tracking her alcoholism with how she was dressing herself. So, like, uh, sort of at kind of a perceivable bottom, she's wearing um, very kind of ridiculous (laughs) 60s, like, eyeliner where she's drawn uh, her lower lash line way below the eye, which is something that you do see in makeup from that time. But even at that time, it was a little much for during the day. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like a signal to like, oh. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, again, my, like, one issue is I just, it, it was so, especially that Harry dude, like, talking to her about Morphe going crazy, and it's like, you have no, it, the point where you're at, like, maybe she has a problem, maybe she doesn't, but you have no basis for drawing that conclusion at all. Like, she wasn't drinking that much. And, like, yeah. And then uh, the other dude, uh, uh, Mustache Cowboy Man. Uh, (laughs) Like, like they're at a bar one time after she beat him for, I think it was the U.S. Championships. Like, and, yeah, she's getting shit-faced at a bar after she became U.S. champion. And it's like... You don't, and he he's like, oh, do you always drink this much? It's and it's like, yo, fuck you, judgy. Go win a go win a U.S. championships, you fucking loser. This this <laughs> sounds like you. This sounds like you projecting into the character. Yeah, well, you know what? I seen Beth, you yell. Let people drink. I seen you yell at at um, bartenders who didn't fill up your glass high enough um, to your liking or hesitate when you ask for a refill at an open bar and then you curse them out. I don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think uh, we have discussed before, there are definitely varying degrees of what people feel is too much substance use. Yeah, and Um, Beth Harmon is a cool lady who just likes being cool. Uh, I also love when there's drug use in a show that makes it seem so appealing. Like, I, too, want to take some colorful pills and see an upside-down 3D chessboard on my ceiling. Yeah, which, again, uh, like, if you're trying to get better at chess, uppers, not downers. Just going to say that. Yeah, you want to at least have Red Bull uh, sponsored. Yeah, Answering your rise to fame. Like Hikaru Nakamura. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh, I also liked that uh, they allowed the series to end without her being really with one of the guys. Oh, yeah. No, that was nice. Yeah, sure. I'll give you that. Like, yeah. Yeah, it. she didn't have to find um, love at the end. Yeah. And yet, again, all the men, they just love her so much. Yeah. <laughs> And she's so good, they just want her to win. I liked it. Yeah, anyway, the most communist show on Netflix since Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, I'm going to say. <laughs> that's good. I say that's fair. I say that's fair. I just watched the greatest movie of all time. Mm. Which is? Con Air. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still reeling from it. Like, it just hits you over the head for, like, two hours straight. And some of Dave Chappelle's Dave best work. Some of Dave Chappelle's, uh, like, he makes it, like, a third of the way through the movie before he's left trying to grab onto the undercarriage of the airplane and then comes out smiling. It's great. <laughs> I like it. I've been also watching Shit's Creek. Oh, I still am refusing to watch that show because like people like it. I, I don't know. I don't, I'll probably watch it. It sounds like Arrested Develop. That was my rationality for not watching Queen's Game. Oh, yeah, that's... What, is because people yeah, liked yeah. it? Yeah, that's fair, I but like also, before... dude, it's some of the best chess shit that's ever been made. Yeah, I don't care. You do. Stop do it. Not. You could just let yourself enjoy something. No, I enjoy Connor. <laughs> I did watch Good Lord Bird. Yeah, I, I did too. It's all right. Uh, I did not watch it, which is weird for me because I am super into abolitionist John Brown. And when you read about him, how he was super cool, but seemed like an absolute wild man. A religious, pious, they portray him wild man. Yeah, I just, it's okay. I, I don't know. I, I'm torn on the series. I was torn from episode one, and then I finished it, and I'm still torn. Yeah, it was not satisfying, and not very... I mean, it kind of grew on me. I will say I did actually cry a little bit in the last episode. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. I just, that like whole fucking crazy John Brown trope just kind of annoys me. Uh, it really just doesn't capture what was going on in history at the time. Mm hmm and very much transposes modern attitudes to yes. his time. I heard that there's some stylistic choices that are obviously anachronistic, but that like they're straight up like woke speak. I think it. that's a little overblown, uh, though it is there. I know what they're talking about, but like, okay. So to me, my biggest issue is the fact that modern people don't, understand that bleeding kansas was literally a war like it wasn't like oh yeah we're at war or whatever it was there were militias fighting each other for political reasons with guns and they were at war and the idea that it's like oh you know our sponsors you you know you killed people in kansas it's like yeah, everyone was killing people in Kansas. It was a war. One of the things Matt Chrisman pointed out was that they referred to one of the militias as the rebels. And he's like, what do you mean? There was no rebels. This isn't the Confederate 
the Confederacy hasn't been established yet. Yeah, but there, there were these two sides that were fighting each other. And the idea that anyone would have been turned off by John Brown's violence. Like, yeah, Harper's Ferry was seen as an extremist act. But John Brown was not seen as an extremist in Bleeding Kansas. He was seen as one side of two factions that were fighting a war. And he was at least doing a good job for the abolitionists at a time when the abolitionists were very decidedly losing. That, Like, that's how he was seen at the time. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, that crazy violent man is being crazy and violent. Like, Well, I don't know if that's completely fair. There were people that were like, John Brown's too extreme. At Harper's Ferry, yes. Yeah. At Harper's. I mean, didn't Frederick Douglass kind of like distance himself before that? Um, Frederick Douglass distanced himself where he thought Harper's Ferry would fail. He distanced himself. You know, he ultimately did not lend any real support for Harper's Ferry. And there's disputes that he said he would. And yeah, so in that case sure he distanced himself but uh, yeah with bleeding kansas again like it was two factions of an army fighting a war against each other they had militias that were shooting guns at one another and were killing each other on both sides Mm -hmm. it was by all like you know the civil war doesn't break out overnight because lincoln won the election the civil war breaks out because there's just this total breakdown of order and institutions that has been brewing forever and bleeding kansas was essentially this low intensity conflict that was going on in the wake of that breakdown all right going back to what bunny said about the modern, uh, I guess, injecting a modern message onto the series. Um, the problem I had the most with was the character of Onion as narrator, protagonist, and I guess drag queen. Um, <laughs> Bunny, you, you haven't seen it, but do you know about this Onion character? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were talking about it at work. Um, <laughs> so I know, but I'm actually like pretty familiar with the historical John Brown. Is that, does that have um, any historical basis? Because it didn't seem like I it. See, I, it no. wasn't something that rung a bell for me. Uh, I liked it because John Brown uh, did indeed have a son named Yeah, Salmon, that is true. But... So, but so I, I wondered if it was a sort of homage to a f- food name, I suppose. Salmon <laughs> um, is in the series. Salmon yes. is in the series. Oh, that's good. I love that John Brown had. He had multiple people in his family named Salmon. Well, too. okay. Salmon in Brown. the series, there is a character who was he a slave? I think it was a slave. Yeah, he was a slave. The son of a slave. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, who who died, and he said to John Brown because John Brown came and killed the master, right? Uh, and then took him, uh, and he said his name was Henry, uh, and John Brown misheard it as Henrietta, and then for the entirety of the series treated him like a girl and dressed him up like a girl, and he went along with it, and all the white people 
treated him like a girl. Most of the black people treated him, or as soon as they met. Why are you dressing uh, like a sissy? Why are you dressing like a sissy? Yeah, Yeah. no, the line that was spoken many a time in that series. Every every slave does. Not every black person, because Frederick Douglass never recognizes that he's dressing up as a woman. And I find it interesting, but by and large, it was mostly a racial split. And, you know, I found this to be kind of that, you know, the modern analysis kind of that John Brown was too crazy to see Henry for who he is. And he just used the oppression, the oppression as like an objectified thing to save rather than someone to understand. Yeah. Uh, And that's one of the things that really bothered me. Yes. But then as the series went along, I realized all the white people couldn't see him for who he was. And I realized that it was this broader commentary on white people treat us like objects and aren't looking to understand who we are. And I found that to be very much a heavy handed message to the point where like one white person would be talking to Onion and, you know, and he'd turn around and then the slave, you know, a slave would be like, what are you trying to play here? Why are you dressing like a sissy? Like in the same frame to the point where it almost became this in-joke throughout the series. And I found that to be part of, you know, this modern uh, discussion about, I guess, uh, segregation of like or white knight kind of yeah and they couldn't just let john brown be the good guy that john brown actually no like just they say what john brown's ideology is oh that's what somebody mentioned to me is that somebody literally used the phrase what in the first episode in the first episode that was onion onion as the narrator Uh, yeah well he has this line and I will say the series kind of improved from the first episode. It still left me a little disappointed. But yeah, there's this line about, oh, the freedom John Brown's offering is no freedom at all. And it's like John Brown, they mention it in the series. They literally objectively state John Brown's ideology was that we are all children of God God doesn't make distinctions, and nor shall we. And he literally did believe in that and lived it to the fullest logical extent. There is no, like, there wasn't any sense of, oh, John Brown thinks of himself as this savior or whatever the fuck. Or like that he thought of himself as somebody who would go down in history in glory. Like yeah, He uh, literally thought in, God is commanding, God commands us yeah. to treat all of his children as equals. And slavery is obviously an affront to that. And like, there's no, you know, it's, he had a very simple logical theory that, you know, you kind of have to hand it to him. And he absolutely lived his life as if that were true. He wasn't trying to be this savior. He was just trying to say, hey, all of those things I think about the Bible are real 
And this is what I ought to do about it. Well, also like somebody of this time who was a real kind of Bible thumping believer who's looking around and going, holy shit, look at this explicit opportunity to do God's work. It's interesting to me that there weren't so many more people with the same attitude, but there were more people than we generally imagine because Americans are very into the idea of people in the past, like that was just the time, like they didn't know any better yet. When for all of American chattel slavery, white people who were witness to this were like, uh, some of them were like, they, this, this is fucked up. It is not good. It, uh, it, it bothers me very much. And, uh, you know, only had so much power because yeah. it's profit motive. And okay, with, so that's uh, <laughs> the one aspect. The other aspect is uh, outside of John Brown, how other white people were at the time, and and that's a thing. And maybe it's outside of the scope of the series, but that's a thing that like Americans don't understand fucking at all. Is where the nor the free staters and the northern abolitionists were at the time where it's like you it's you're a farmer from Connecticut you've statistically you've never traveled more than 10 miles from the place you were born in your life fucking Virginia Alabama that all might as well be the moon to you. and also you don't really like black people you don't you're kind of a racist person and yet at a certain point you're voting for a president with the explicit understanding that if this guy is president, it's very possible that the nation will go to war with itself over slavery. And you're objectively looking at that cost-benefit analysis and saying, yeah, it makes sense to vote. And that aspect also isn't covered. Like, the whole idea that, like, oh, John Brown was just seen as this radical moralist who was out of touch with everyone else kind of isn't entirely the case when you look at what the Kansas Nebraska Act and Bleeding Kansas was really about that led so many white people from the north who were in fact racist, who were in fact ambivalent about the morality of slavery to say, no, we should murder people in order to stop the spread of slavery. And that that part too isn't really... Addressed, And that's really the context of the time that John Brown is coming out of for people who aren't John Brown, for people who don't actually have a moral, you know, this is an egregious thing. Mm-hmm. This was a economic, sociopolitical battle that was taking place where people didn't have faith in the public order of federal institutions that you had these rolling low-level, low-intensity wars going on that eventually exploded into the Civil War. And it's and it's treated as a culture war. Yeah, it, and it was Throughout the show, it's, a, it's treated right. early as a culture war, at, like how we would discuss abortion. Or right. yeah, and it was us. not. And like when they go up north, it's most explicit. Yeah, where it's just Frederick like... Douglas. And all the white women applauding Douglas as these like it takes more than liberal abolitionists. Yeah, it takes more than liberal moralism to lead us into a civil war. 
it, it it takes a otherwise sort of racist hates black people bumpkin farmer from New England going well yeah the plantation system likes to spread itself because if it doesn't spread it it dies out and eventually if we don't stop this the plantations are going to come to Connecticut and it's going to drive me out of business because I can't it, it was these people just looking at the plantations as these like mega corporations that would competition completely mm-hmm. destroy their lifestyle and also oh by the way with plantations, there comes black people and um, racist that I don't like black people. Like that was another aspect of it where it's like in the same sense that like it was kind of this weird nimbyism almost where people reacting to like a prison or a mental health facility opening the prospect of like a halfway house and opening up on their block going like, I don't want those people here. Um, they were literally there was this idea that the slavers wanted to eventually make every state in the union a slave state. And if we didn't stop them now, that would happen. And if that happened, say goodbye to small farm. That was a huge aspect that was going into it at the time. (laughs) And those people supported John Brown. They didn't support the idea that we're all equal children under God, but they supported John Brown Mm-hmm. sticking it to those plantation assholes. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, there was like he was a useful person. The yeah, the abolitionists their, were getting uh, their asses kicked everywhere where these low intensity wars popped up and John Brown was just this shining light of holy shit, someone's actually winning this thing for us. He had so many children. Oh, yeah. John Brown I mentioned Salmon, um, and I, I Owen, and I think John Brown also had a brother mm. named Salmon, if if I'm remembering correctly. Um, didn't one of his kids marry uh, the beer guy, mm. Sa- Sam Adams? Sam, Sam wasn't Sam Adams well dead by then? Sa- Sam Adams was late 1700s. Like- this is mid 1800s. This is mid-1800s. Or it's a different... I don't know. I feel like one of his girl children married somebody who's also... Yeah. I mean, Owen but I don't recall. went on to be a uh, officer in the uh, Union. I would like to see Villick uh, and Weidermeyer get more love because people know who John Brown is. No one knows who those people And they were... Uh, mm-hmm refugees from the failed revolution also communist friends of Marx who settled in the Midwest had military experience from 1848 they were like oh yeah no slavery is terrible Um, and absolutely were the most devoted officers in the army Uh, I think it was yeah Villick um Basically, well before when the official policy of the Union Army was, yeah, return the slaves to their owners because, you know, we're doing that, right? Like, no, get to decide what to do with them, and I'm setting them free. Yeah, there was, uh, there's also, I believe, a lot of anarchists, proper anarchists, uh, who were, yeah, 
abolitionists. But yes, but abolitionists uh, existed from the time, from the advent of slavery in um, mm-hmm. the colonies. Mostly, mostly by them fucking Quakers. Um, but yes, uh, so, you know, some people were like, this isn't good because of morals. And some people were like, this isn't good because of other interests we hold. <laughs> I did get the sense from a lot of people that there, there seems to be an effort to decenter John Brown in this story that is essentially about John Brown in a way that some people perceived as being overly woke. But, um, you know, I don't know. Did you read? uh, I don't know. The article I sent you about the eco yogi. Yes. Yeah. They, um, yes, they still did. They do. I am actually familiar. I used to go there. Yeah. Because it's right by my work. But it is crazy, crazy overpriced. Um, <laughs> like even buy things are expensive. It in, is an insane. I in couldn't York, afford it until um, the pandemic hit. Like until I started working day <laughs> and doing fifty deliveries a day, I couldn't even go near that place. Two coffees and two pieces of avocado toast once cost me. $34. Uh, they sell at least $15 mm. CBD joints, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, also, when the fuck... So, yeah, they're like, slumlords. Uh, seriously, this is pissing me off. So have you ever met the woman? I've seen her there, but uh, no, because I, I don't... Okay, I don't, so I, I had it a weird... Okay, there. for anyone <laughs> listening, there was this article that came out in August, Eco Yoji uh, Slumlords of Brooklyn, uh, who it tells this harrowing tale. I check, I check it out. It's in the, the cut um, of them kicking people out of a, an apartment building on Dean Street, which I by today and flipped off which made me feel good but yeah there was a a big protest in July because they were throwing people's stuff out of their home there were there were like eight to ten people living there and uh they were charging like eight hundred dollars a room for like a shoebox to live in you know uh rats in the walls all these things and then as you keep going on it gets weirder and weirder it's it's a couple that were like fiancés that broke up recently. And uh, because the woman started dating their Manny and fathered a child, or he fathered one of their children, or, and he's 22. And I've seen him working, I've seen him working in the planted store, and I think he's given me coffee. Damn. Um, and yeah, he was... When he's not giving out coffee, he's playing with those children. There's this restaurateur who basically goes through these serial relationships where he gets married to a woman who has a background in a certain genre of cooking. They open a restaurant within that genre together, and then he cheats on her with another woman who's into a different genre of cooking. And then he gets divorced, that restaurant closes, and then he gets remarried and he opens up a new restaurant in a slightly different genre of cooking. And he's gone through like five different restaurants and it fucking rules. 
<laughs> they had people um, working for free uh, at their yoga spaces uh, by participating yes. in something called Karma <laughs> Hours. Which is like super funny because it's like not a real authentic use of the concept. Oh, yeah. of karma. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was like the hits kept coming. The more details it's you got in that story, incredible how awful these people are. And this woman once asked me for information from my job because her ex fiance, who I now found out is like. The slumlord sleaze guy who owns $30,000 wall of plants. He was looking for a job and wanted information from my business to get help him get a job. And this is like minutes after I see her like playing with the children and the manny and being affectionate. And I'm like, this is, is it for him? Like, I couldn't tell if it was for the 22-year-old kid or some other guy, and apparently it was this other guy who she's still connected to. The point is, the city is suing them. In, in my opinion, yeah. good on de Blasio. I mean, he's fucked up so much during the pandemic. This is one of the first times I've been fully on his side. Yeah, they're making an, example, making an example, and it's kind of a smokescreen, I'm sure. Um, but how common is it, Marlo, he with experience... Yeah, um, so I I haven't read the article specifically, but, uh, you know, okay, so generally speaking, for building code violations, that shit happens all the time. Uh, you, you, like, if you're a large landlord, you're getting sued by the city as a, it's in your budget. You're just getting sued by the city, and you'll get, like... Oh, yeah, we're suing you for, like, a $50,000 fine that then becomes, like, a $500 fine on settlement. And it just that just happens all the time. With chronic, like, illegal evictions or that kind of shit, that's a little more rare. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, uh-huh. yeah, oh, your radiator broke and you didn't fix it fast enough and we sent some inspectors over who determined your radiator was broken and oh yeah one of your tenants called 311 and we sent some inspectors over and there's some like holes in the wall you gotta fix and like the, you, you, if you're a large landlord you're constantly that's just a part of the business oh okay so the the terms of this were apparently they were moving back into the apartment and that's why they were kicking all the other people out. This is while people were withholding rent during the early days of the pandemic. Right. Here's, so, a, here's a paragraph from it. There isn't a more explicit symbol of housing market totally divorced from its human context than the eviction attempt at t- 1214 Dean Street. The tenants were largely in their 20s and 30s. Many were queer, black, or brown and employed in low-wage service jobs. In April, after several of them were laid off, they told Genville and Brooks Church that they would be withholding their rent. The following month, they received a one-line email from Brooks Church informing them that the house would be put on the market within the next month or two. And on July 2nd, tenants told 
say Brooks Church suddenly showed up at the house demanding they pay their rent. He woke up two women who were sleeping in a room on their top floor. They jumped up to dig money from their wallets. Another woman who had recently lost her job was in her room recovering from an emergency craniotomy to remove a mass of brain tumors. After Brooks Church left, she emailed Genville begging for a move out date of August 15th. I'm under the most stress I've ever been in my whole life, she wrote. I hope you can empathize with my situation. I'm sorry this year has happened to anyone. I don't know who you are, Genville wrote back. Who is this? When she and Brooks Church showed up to the 1214 (laughs) with their kids, they put the woman's belongings on the street. Yeah, that's illegal. including the get well gifts she had received during her hospital. That's incredibly illegal. <laughs> oh, man, that is so that's, illegal. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of like literally just treated as burglary. Like you, you are not allowed to enter your tenant's apartment without permission. That's why I wanted to bring the story to this because we have an expert. Yeah, that that's all ungodly illegal in New York. And while housing court is closed, no, you weren't allowed to do evictions for any reason whatsoever. Right. It just is how it works. Like, you can't do evictions without a court proceeding. And if the courts are closed, you can't do evictions. And, yeah, that sucks, I guess, if you're an asshole. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, sure, you can have rent accruing and when courts reopen you can start these proceedings for all the rent that accrued and your tenants are kind of fucked if they can't pay it because they've been out of work because of the pandemic but no 100 percent, that's absolutely illegal um and yes it is rare that the city would get involved in something like this. Because usually the go-to procedure is the tenants would sue for an illegal eviction. And generally what ends up happening is the judge, you know, if it's found to be an illegal eviction, the judge, uh, one, orders you to immediately restore the person to their tenancy. And two, it's treble damages, which... Treble is an old-timey word for triple, uh, which is, like, literally whatever (laughs) bill that the tenant can say, like, hey, I rented, I had to get a hotel room this night or whatever the fuck, gets multiplied by three. If a landlord knocked on my door and said, get out of my apartment, I'd tell them to fuck off and go get a marshal. Like, that's what you do. You can't do that. Like, that's not... I think... Early in the article, they talk about how he, he he broke in and then he wouldn't leave for whatever. Uh, yeah, call the police. Well, I think but, the I mean, like, literally. they did call the police. And, well, that was the standoff. They called the police and the, the landlords called the police at the same time. The I handyman started to change the locks. That's when people were forced out of the house. You actually should call the police. And this is a situation. They did where the police would, generally speaking, side with tennis. Like, that is actually their prerogative in that case. So what the police do? So they come in, the, the person who's getting kicked out. As, as Martinez approached 1214 from the street, she saw a 
Few of her fellow tenants huddled on the steps outside Genville, a wiry blonde in her 40s, screamed at them, calling them squatters. Out Once inside, she roamed through the house, tenants say, with Brooks Church closed behind. One tenant told Gothamist that Genville had grabbed her by the wrist as she was getting dressed in her room, ordering her to get the fuck out. Martinez called 911. After a while, the police, uh, when the handyman uh, started to change the locks, several tenants decided it was better to leave, grabbing what they could and putting their belongings on the streets. After a while, the police arrived. When Martinez identified herself as the tenant, the cops said they were responding to a call from Genville and Brooks Church, who had also apparently dialed 911. They told Martinez that the landlord said they had nowhere else to go. Since it was their house, police said they couldn't, they couldn't make the owners leave. They told, Mar- they told Martinez to think of the family as her new roommates. At the no. same time, oh Genville and Church could not legally remove the tenants of their own. Not only was the moratorium on evictions in place during the pandemic, but the law requires evictions to be carried out by a sheriff armed with a court order. Yes. So... <laughs> Returning no, you can't. Returning to her room, Martinez discovered that her mail had been spread out on her bed next to someone's discarded sun hat. Genville and her kids eventually left. Brooks Church planted himself in the living room. He was sitting on my chair, just sitting there all night. And then they uh, got in touch with local anti-gentrification groups and started a mass protest outside the yeah, no, that's weird. No, like, honestly, no, the police should have... You, you don't get to walk into someone else's apartment because you're the owner. You you can't do that. The only time you can do that, and it's a thing within the industry, it's a joke, slash, it's a illegal thing landlords do, is say you smelled gas. That's the, like... Yeah, that's the one situation where it's like, hey, do you need to get into your tenant's apartment and they're not home and they're not letting you in to the apartment and you need to get in there? Yeah, just say you smelled gas when they're not home and like break in. Can we we just discuss how inhumane these people are? How absolutely disgusting they treated their tenants? That it seemed to be a recurring way that they basically class war against whomever they felt was a means to their empire. Like they did this to these tenants and built up like a mini real estate empire. And at the same time, built up a yoga empire where they just employed people for no money in exchange for like karma hours or whatever. I don't know. Bunny, what did... I just think it's, upon, like, looking into this, I do not see any kind of necessarily, uh, oh, they started with such good intentions and became this way. Uh, They kind of seemed like they were possibly uh, always sort of shitty. But what's interesting to me is that when people buy property it can very easily turn into buying multiple properties. The thing that I thought you could speak Um, to was the amount to which hippy-dippy, new-age spiritualism 
and like chakras and yoga and i think that's what's interesting is that like despite them having this veneer ethical. of being ethical and uh you know adhering to yogic principles they are very much doing the same thing as what happens when like a working class person gets to sort of level up and become a property owner or a business owner and they just more often than not, end up all behaving the same exploitive way. Uh, not nearly to this threshold necessarily all the time, but it, it seems that no set of principles can inherently prevent uh, landlords uh, being bad. Uh, <laughs> but I do think that element of oh, wow, this is a unique space that has uh, the novelty of the living wall. Or, um, yeah, uh, and a lot of yoga studios actually practice work study, right? Where you can volunteer to kind of do reception or whatever for a certain amount of hours. And those hours you can use to get free, you know, not free, but... You could, instead of paying for a yoga class. So I know that this is actually not unique necessarily, um, though it does sound like it was more abusive than your average yoga studio. But yeah, this idea that you can... Um, Where's the yoga studio? Sort of live out these yoga principles. Uh, area. I think area is like the kids zone. Yeah. And then they... They turned it into like a brand that also did yoga. It would be at four two nine Bourbon Street, Brooklyn. Yeah. Phone number seven one eight two three zero seven four nine five. That that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Just wondering, you know, theoretically. Yes. If anybody wanted to pay a house call, um, I drive by it every day, so I'm going to be flipping it off. Uh, like I did. Yeah, I mean... I would argue, funny though, I would push back a little bit and say that in a lot of ways, this is implicit to a lot of New Age spiritualism and kind of end of history, post-2000 spiritual capitalism or human capitalism. That if you accelerate it enough, this is the end result of that type of fly a, a pride flag and we're going to give all these signifiers for being a you know good liberal you know egalitarians and you know peace and love and virtue and principles following a, a you know a spiritual path while at the same time very much being malevolent exploitative capitalist entrepreneurial destructive force of people they view as commodities rather than human beings. After I read the article, uh, I was just creeping, uh, Googling about these folks. Uh, and the woman involved, yep. uh, a few years ago, she was arrested for yep. shoplifting. $2,000 worth. Yeah, not a negligible amount. With, like a, with yeah, the like, Manny. Uh, she went <laughs> with the Manny, and they both got picked up for $2,000 worth of stealing, which is not the first time. First of all, how do you get caught? Like, I just, I used to I just don't understand. I, I, what they thought I worked they were at Whole doing. Foods for four years, and 
every day saw people get caught with thousands of dollars worth of lifestyle. It was mostly lifestyle. You go into a whole foods or whole wellness section where you just like hand creams that are like $75 a pop. And I've absolutely thought about robbing the Union Square Whole Foods for caviar before. Yeah. I've 100% considered that. I've dated people that have been stealing things and knew people like the Union Square one. Just like Whole Foods is not a good place. Yeah, but they have these things of caviar that are so tiny and $500. They're very tiny. I know $500 for a thing. And I'm sure it's delicious. I, I want that fucking beluga caviar in my mouth. Oh, well, I do have a fun, nifty factoid for any listeners out there who might be suffering through this pandemic by working at, say, Instacart or uh, an Amazon Fresh, I assume, uh, where you pick up from Whole Foods. Someone told me, quote unquote, that if you are working and doing a shop for someone, you're you're shopping for someone's groceries, they do not seem to meticulously review those receipts. So, you know, go ahead and get yourself a oh, soda, yeah. you know? <laughs> I'd chalk it up to just, oh, but that must have been the customer before or after me. It got mixed in with this stuff. Um, also, because you were shopping for someone else... Well, there's usually security guards that are hanging around these high-priced items that are security details. Well, yes, I'm saying if you want to steal from Whole Foods and you're already there in a professional capacity, that's the way to do it. Because <laughs> you're hey, going to call Aaron for it, I guess. It's not right now. Yeah, why not? Um, at one o'clock. Yeah, I don't know. It'll probably go to voicemail. What's some, like, hippie shit I could say to them about their chakras? Uh, well, okay, they're, the thing I wanted to talk about was that they're, uh, they're coronavirus skeptics. Area interest sauna and planted cafe. Please leave your name, number, and a brief message, and we'll call you back as soon as we can. Thank you. Fuck off, slumlord pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, man, that was cool. Um, I should threaten their kids sometime. What kind of? What yeah, kind that, of was, that was not her. Is, uh, was that her. was the like fakest goddamn yeah, yeah. British it, accent I've ever heard from someone who wants to sound fancy. The the other part about this I wanted to talk about is that they are coronavirus skeptics. Oh. And, Oh, and, oh, this is, yeah, this is fun. This I'm is really some Jill Steinbutter shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, these fucking people who, before these vaccines are actually available, are already telling everyone who will listen. I went that, in, you know, I went in there and was surprised and, and, that she was not wearing a mask during the pandemic. And I thought, oh. This bitch was in her yeah. shop not wearing a mask. What a um, fucking... She, uh, according to this article, disgusting. she believes that she has antibodies, but at uh, the brownstone that she also owns, uh, they have anti-mask signs in their window. 
And uh, her ex-fiance participated yeah. in the UK-based online discussion called Corona Talks, in which he was described as an outspoken against the civil liberties issues the lockdown raised. Because her business oh, got well, his, his business and, is Yeah. Well, their businesses got hurt, which is also why these people uh, illegally went into their tenant spaces because things are not going good for them. So anything goes. That's what happens when you are the owners, the big bosses, even when you're Tune in next rogues. week and I'll tell uh, you where her kids go to school. <laughs> no, those kids look. I don't got to do anything, damn it. Old enough to you're you know what you're fucking right, man. We're not. You know what? Thanksgiving is canceled, and uh, nothing matters. I will anymore. say there was one time I went um, into there and I asked how she was doing, and she kind of. It was around the time that this article came. Well, around the time that they were getting protested. Apparently, they were also getting protested outside the cafe, and people were uh, handing out leaflets, letting people know that they were slumlords, which they were taking down and calling the cops on these people. And she looked at me, and she was she had this like pained wince on her face, and she goes. Things are not going good. I was like, la da 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 da, yeah, the pandemic sucks, and she's just obviously not in a mask. It, it felt weird because who says that to a customer? Things are not going well. Somebody who is not used to dealing with some real uh, <laughs> low points. That sounds like somebody who expects you to respond to that statement with. Uh, yeah, I thought I was going to be the next success. 23-year-old. You know? Looking yeah, to uh, <laughs> to uh, colonialize um, with her. Yeah, get some love children going, dude. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I don't need any of her juju. Yeah. Although they do they do make a pretty, pretty sweet latte, which I now feel bad for supporting. Yeah, whatever. No animal consumption. And they've got a lot. They've yeah, got a lot they make of their milk own milks. macadamia milks. They do. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, and they have I mean, a yeah. back patio where there's like a little cat that runs in through the yard and comes and plays. But it all seems very sad and retro. You know, it's funny because I always got uh, a weird vibe there, and my one coworker really liked to go there but i uh if i was gonna go to a coffee shop on that block uh, I'd hungry go ghost is right down the road go to hungry ghost and um, i would go to the bodega on the corner that's two bucks mm -hmm. instead of like 10 yeah well no if i was like choosing to do the expensive coffee um i probably nine times out of ten i'm gonna choose hungry ghost now you're never gonna go to yeah, I'm never gonna illegally go. Maybe evict I'm gonna these walk by nuts. There and see. <laughs> I called them. Back. Yeah. Oh, you man, did. I hope that was yeah. one of the signs. Uh, that was my second message. I left up. <laughs> oh, uh, I think I'm gonna do this for um, the next 24 hours. I've got nothing yeah. better to do. That's true. They are horrible. Like a unique true. level of horribleness. Only because of the amount to which people can go. Oh, you know. This is hypocritical. They're these liberal tree huggers and, you know, they have all these ethics and people 
can't process it or like can't view it outside of this lens of exploiters. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of the article we keep referencing is the detail about a professor who <laughs> liked them to yell. You white, liberal, phony, fake, selfish motherfucker. You belong in a Charles Dickens <laughs> novel. That bit stuck out to me. Um, I wish I would have known this was happening uh, very close to a place that I often yeah, I mean, am when it was happening because I love to I mean, yell. yeah, no, harass away. So, uh, they still exist. They will still be at Planted tomorrow yeah the children will be there with their 23 year old man traumatize their fucking kids absolutely yeah actually you know what i i take back my thing about being nice to the kids because there was a part in the article when they were trying to illegally take over the apartment from their tenants one of the tenants walked into the kitchen to find her the two young children eating popsicles there, and one of them said to her, it's yeah, so I nice mean, to like, be I'm not saying do anything violent, <laughs> but I am saying, you know, if you show violent imagery to the kids, you know, and not even show it direct. No, you want to poison the children against yeah, I, their I don't parents. Know. Just give them issues is, is, and, is you know, just... like, let that, let those <laughs> chips land where they may. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying, like, year direct violent imagery towards the children. I'm saying show violent imagery in the vicinity. Yeah. And you're not, that's just like, that's what Barack Obama just calls a Tuesday. Really clockwork orange their children is what you're saying. Yeah, no, like, yeah, clockwork orange them. Absolutely. Whatever the fuck that's called. Play the Ninth Symphony. Yeah, like... Lugwig fan or whatever the it's fuck. It's a Ludovico. Yeah, whatever. That shit, that movie sucks. I, I've always hated it. I'm sure the book sucks, too. The book yeah. rocks. The book rocks. What, a oh, I'm orange. sure it sucks. Like, like, some, like, gas poetry <laughs> or whatever the fuck. Like, yeah, it's just it's like, oh, in the future, like, Gay-ass kids will, poetry. like, rape each other and, like, also fetishize Beethoven for some reason. I don't know. It's weird. I don't my my favorite part of the article is the rats. The rats started appearing mm-hmm. at the place. In- yeah, get some rats and toss them at the kids. <laughs> in the direction of the kids. Okay, but uh, when tenants demanded Brooks Church take care of the rat situation, he warned them that their walls will be full of rat skeletons. Their souls will haunt you. I need more details about this woman's background. I want more specific stories about these interactions. Yeah, who's because her mom? What's her? If phone anybody said <laughs> any no, yeah, any number of these things that she's quoted as saying, I'm like, I would have fought this person if somebody told me the souls of dead rats were going to haunt me. That's also um, the guy. Guys, I think. Oh, is it the guy? Well, it's still fighting well, words. What's his uh, mom's phone number? Uh, I don't know. This is yeah. all information. Exactly. I want to know about, I want to know a little bit more about, because uh, all I was finding is a lot of bullshit about their professional life and like kind of fluffy profiles uh, of them from, you know, like 2013 ish. But I was like, what's, well, well, yeah, what's their home deal? address? I Mail a dead rat. Now. You know, like just, 
you know, let their kids be haunted. <laughs> and the other thing is that, like, I'm pretty sure the sauna part of their business was, like, a recent addition. So they had spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars installing infrared saunas. And then, like, people weren't uh -huh. able to come out and use them. I heard that there was, like, orgies going on <laughs> um, in... I don't know if it was the sauna place or the yoga place, but I know that there was at least one quote of a worker who walked in on a whole bunch of naked people in the studio. Also harassed the 22-year-old guy. Hmm. Yeah. Lance. Shepard Lance. Harassed him. Yeah, what's up? Online, what's up? he advertised himself him? as a carpenter, um. a pet sitter, a waiter, and a handyman. He had modeled in a portfolio of erotic photography he had been to burning man he started working at area doing <laughs> odd jobs he and genville were seen holding hands and kissing in back of yoga honestly steve i think we need to do this deep plant thing where we get <laughs> deep you to planted yeah whatever but like yeah we'll invent a whole new yeah. <laughs> identity for you you'll be the manny uh you'll start a long-term relationship with her and then just like break her heart in the most traumatic way possible <laughs> that she like just develops an eating disorder from just like really fucking well, drive that shit. you say this like she already doesn't like she she's on a liquid diet I've only oh, seen her yeah. have have shit. How do you how do you double eating disorder someone? Fuck. And and she know. also like I've heard her say like the only way that she feels good is by going to yoga. Mm. Well, then we need to then you need to emotionally disturb her so much that but not why even did, that works for her. I, yoga spa and vegan. Food. I also want to know why the charges were dropped. For the shoplifting before, why didn't? Well, okay. What's the use but of catching someone shoplifting? The only thing that makes don't... her feel good is yoga. We need to take that away. I can't so believe she had a child. She had a child with so the, the twenty-two-year-old. Yeah, dude. I just want to emphasize for our listeners that this is not like a spectacularly hot twenty-two-year-old by my standard. He looks like. Okay, let me see this twenty-two-year-old. A reverse beard. All right, uh, I gotta, I gotta like. find this twenty-two-year-old now. <laughs> Hold up, I want to yeah, see. Guys, I'm so glad we're all in yeah. on hating these. It yeah, no. Um, okay, <laughs> so I'm seeing this silver fox gentleman, uh, yeah. but I assume he's not the twenty-two-year-old. Is the twenty-two-year-old pictured here in this article? No, he's not. But here's his picture. Yeah. I, I can. Yeah, send me a picture. Yeah, his, his, his head's fat. This picture is so fucking nerdy. Um, I want to I see how well our beautiful resident himbo, Steven, can step in. Oh, yeah, Steve, you got this, this shit. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I think Dude, so. we are... I, yeah, I no, saw him. I, I really, me. Just enter a long-term relationship with her, and after, like, 15 years, ghost her. I think I'm too old. Dude, just get like, clean shaven. Of, you can pass for like... She's in her mid-40s, pushing 50. She's looking to go younger and not... Nah, man, you're selling yourself no. short. 100%. I am being realistic about her desire. Back me up, bunny. Midlife crisis. She's only 46. <laughs> she's entering midlife crisis um, mode. 
and financial crisis. She's not going to want to date a delivery boy for the right aid across the street. I'm just kind of amazed at there's so many stories about her and her ex-partner being such shitheads. But uh, if you go through the Google results for their names, there are multiple, multiple bullshit fucking like local yeah, neighborhood local heroes about like these amazing. They're, yeah. they're beauty of this story is they are residential do-gooders who were like evil the whole time and anyone that knew them knew they were evil and they managed to create this simulation of themselves as this young hip entrepreneurial spirit of capitalism bringing gentrification and goodness to the area when in reality they were just exploiting people, driving up inequality, and charging way too fucking their coffee. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we can talk about this, because... But yeah, I... Me too, me too. Oh, also, I did think it was particularly funny, like, the sauna studio, her intention with it was for it to be Brooklyn's first communal infrared oh. sauna studio <laughs> and it's just la it's laughable to me like how terrible because i'm sure there's plenty of places that do infrared saunas now but most of them feature like single booths that people can go into she really emphasized this idea that it could be a communal experience <laughs> which <laughs> oh man anyway yeah, fuck these I'm people sure we'll get back um, to this i don't know if you heard this Marlo, gonna, but we're gonna circle back yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find some more weird information. Yeah, no, just dox the um, shit out of her. Yeah, I at one point, our, our she owned audience. she owned 14 different spaces for doing it. All right, guys, let's uh, go. Peace, bitches. Bye. The landlord's here to visit. They're blasting disco down below. Says I'm doubling the rent because I'm building some damn. Do it.